the word intentional name of the show. I love people hearing their definitions. What does the word mean to you? Intentional do things that mean something, do things that are awesome and have a lot of fun. That's what I think it means. Welcome to the intentional growth podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Have you ever looked at someone and wondered, are they lucky or do they just work hard or do they know what they were doing? Well, today we're going to be unpacking that topic because Mark Lachance is on the show and he wrote the book called The Lucky Formula, How to Stack the Odds in Your Favor to Hitting Your Ultimate Long-Term Success. And what I really enjoyed about the philosophy behind the lucky formula is it just lines up with being intentional that if you have a clear understanding of what you want, and then you're doing everything every day to set yourself up with having the highest percentage possibility of getting what you want, that's exactly what this entire show is about. And Mark's going to be sharing his show or sharing his story today because currently he's implementing everything that he's talking about because he started this business called Maxi Media with a partner of his four, four and a half years ago or so. And now they have 300 employees and millions of dollars in revenue and are crushing it. But it's not an accident. But what Mark did is he stacked the odds in his favor to be lucky on purpose. And what he learned over his career is that he's got a long career of like, the ups and downs. In 2016, Mark successfully sold EVO Payments International Canada, an end-to-end payments processing solution and merchant acquire, which he founded in 2009. He guided the company from its inception uh, with one employee to over 200 employees across Canada. Prior to EVO, Mark was one of the founding members and president of VersaPay Inc., a payments processing solution provider, which was taken public in 2010. And prior to joining VersaPay, Mark was a founding member of Pivotal Payments, which is now a multi-billion dollar public company. He set the foundation and drove the company's sales and revenues before the successful exit of the company in 2006. And Mark's going to talk about that was not all easy and he had some really devastating setbacks. But what he did is he learned from his setbacks and he started stacking the odds in his favor based on the routines that he was doing and the activities he was doing because his vision for where he wanted to take the companies and what he wanted long-term was very clear. And he ended up getting very lucky on certain things because he knew that was the situation he wanted to engineer. So I am so excited for this episode because if you listen in, doing things today because you're clear on the outcome and why you're going through today and the hard work to get you to that goal, you're hoping on a little bit of luck, but the goal is choices because you built a valuable business that is going to get you where you want to go and the choices that you want. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Mark Lachance. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing amazing, Ryan. Doing amazing. 
We were just well, especially because you're in Florida and I'm in Minnesota, so you, you already got one up on me. <laughs> so, um, very looking forward to this conversation. Um, you were just telling me about some of the crazy stuff you got going on with the current business and the growth that you guys have had. You got a book that's out, and uh, you've got a very interesting background as well. And, and I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing the the connections between payment processing and marketing. <laughs> And so, and how, no and how connections at all. <laughs> no connection. <laughs> well, uh, why don't you just give everybody the high level overview of your background and then we can jump in. Yeah. So uh, I graduated, I think I'm a bit older than you, Ryan, but I graduated uh, university in 1992. And soon, when I got out of school, there was actually, it was, it was a recession at the time. And so I had a choice. I had a choice to either, you know, go to uh, work in Boston and mutual fund companies for something like they were offering $21,000 a year back then. It was ridiculous <laughs> or or i could have gone back to work for my father and work for he was paying me almost double that you know in construction though so that was the you know we spoke about having a why by the way we spoke about that my why is to never ha- work in construction ever again because i don't know it, it, well, I used to look out the window and see that blazing hot sun come up over the horizon and know that I was going to have to be on the roof. Or if it were the winter time, like you're cold right or now, warm or, or <laughs> have you ever smashed your finger with a hammer when it's, uh, you know, one degree? It's brutal. <laughs> well, my, my father-in-law, Mark, he used to, I mean, he was in the, the, the union and so he was construction and he'd be sitting on a forklift and it'd be like four degrees out and just I, like I true work. I'm going to put the quotes because that's when you showed up every single day. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, part when I talk about the book, one of the, uh, one of your internal, uh, things that you need to master is your why, right? So I've got, I've got a pretty big why to never work construction. So anyway, so from, from construction, I went, I was able to build actually working for my father during the week. And then I was able to build a, a sports agency, um, on the weekends. So I was traveling, I'd literally drive to Canada from Connecticut on the weekends. I'd, uh, all over Boston, all over New York, wherever the good hockey players were, I was in those arenas. So over the, the course of a couple of years, I was able to build a pretty good practice. I had seven guys in the national hockey league. I had over 35 players in, in the minor leagues and the European leagues as well. So oh, super cool. Yeah. And then from, from there, I lost two clients. I was fired by two of my clients. So we're going to talk about recurring revenue, I think in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I quickly saw that the sports business doesn't offer recurring revenue because you can lose about 30% of your, of your revenue overnight when two, just two clients fire you. And uh, that's how I, I fell into the payment space. And I met a guy who was doing about $20,000 a month in, in profit to the bottom line. And this is back in 1998. And I was like, wow. how did that conversation happen? So you're doing sport, you're doing the sports stuff. And then you said you fall into the payment place. I mean, were you at a bar? Were you at a sports game or there? <laughs> like, well, well, buddy how, how did you fall? Well, a buddy of mine introduced me. I, I asked him, this buddy pulls up in, in a Porsche and I'm like, Hey, how does, uh, you know, how does this guy make that? <laughs> What's up? Where does he make <laughs> yeah. his money? From? Why does he have a Porsche? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Why does he have a Porsche? And I have a Honda. <laughs> right? <laughs> so. So, you know, he explained to me the business. Uh, what what piqued my interest was the fact that he had about 2,000 clients, right? And if he lost one, two, or three, even 10, it wouldn't hurt his bottom line. I had just lost two of my seven top NHL guys. And, you know, I, I lost them the same way I got them. I basically, you know, I stole, I would, I would basically steal my clients from other agents. Same thing mm-hmm. happened back. So that's not a very good strategy. <laughs> But anyway, the point is, um, I saw this guy making recurring revenue, $20,000 a month recurring revenue. And I said, look, that to me 
is is has value because the portfolio itself has value. And I, I quickly learned to you know learn that these portfolios had 36x value on them, which is huge. As you know, you're you're a guy who understands that. So I quickly learned the payment space and got into that, and and you know all the way up through 2016. So from from 1998 to 2016, I was in the payments business, and that was a, a pretty good. I've had some very successful exits, and anyway, so go ahead. So and and you have also a couple. You were part of other other uh, companies in the payment space, as from what I believe, and then. Why don't you give everybody a little bit of an overview of your what you're doing now too, and then the book? Because I I think you know the the wrapper around this, Mark, just to set the stage for everybody. We were talking about you know growing value, being intentional, you know having a couple exits. I mean, you're focused on the right things in your current businesses, and now you look at businesses a little bit differently. So maybe give a little bit of an overview of the book, and then what you're doing now. We can kind of go back, and then it has some context, some of the the previous uh, uh, journeys that you've had. Sure. Sure. So the book is called The Lucky Formula, How to Stack the Odds in Your Favor and uh, Basically Create Success, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's a culmination of my successes and my mega failures. So the book starts off with my, my mega colossal failure back in 2007. When I, <laughs> it actually starts in 2006 when I had a, a, a huge successful win. I sold a company that I started in 2000. And I sold in 2006 for millions, and you know that stacked on top of the money that I already had in the bank. I literally, and here's a learning for you to do, Ryan, and your and your clients or your listeners: never go all in, like literally all in. <laughs> like, so all I went the personal all guarantees, roll it all in, everything, and <laughs> everything, millions of dollars, push it on red. Don't ever do that. Anyway, so back in 2007, <laughs> I went all in on a real estate deal. And you remember the year 2007. Oh, I'm already, I just immediate gut punch. Exactly. Oh. So you remember those years. <laughs> uh, oh. I went all in and within about a year, almost a year and a half, I'm sitting, staring at that uh, bankruptcy gun to my head, the barrel of that gun and bills were stacking up and I was basically on the verge of bankruptcy and uh, anxiety, depression, all that, all that not fun stuff. And from there, I, I, you know, as I think Ryan, you had a low point in your life as well. We spoke about, and you know, from there, mm -hmm. you get the you get the the energy or you get the uh, inspiration to get out. If you're a winner, and if you're somebody that you know that that doesn't like being a loser for too long, don't I, trap me. Exactly. <laughs> don't tread. <laughs> yeah. Don't tread on me, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, trap, tread, shit, whatever. <laughs> So it was about six months into my, let's call it depression, I was like, I had enough of this. So I picked up the phone and I'm like, listen, I need to get back into the business that I understand. I, I made millions in the payments business. I know it. Um, I'll call myself the king of Canada. I understood the marketplace. So I uh, called a buddy of mine. I said, Todd, a buddy of mine in the payment space. I'm like, look, here's the situation. I'm bankrupt. I'm in a bad situation. Can you help me? First, he was floored. He was like, well, how did you get there? And I told him, well... I was an idiot and I made bad moves, but anyway, I'm here now, so let's get out mm -hmm. of it. So it, luck, as luck would have it, he um, he had a buddy who just did a deal with a Canadian bank to to run their portfolio, their credit card processing or their mm -hmm. payments portfolio. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, he's looking for somebody in Canada to run it, to number one, take an equity stake and then run the business. And so my book details that. It details how I was able to get myself out of depression, out of basically hell, and into back into the uh, profit zone, back into you know back into uh, 
you know, cash flow in the bank and, and, and great things happening again. So from that was from 2009 in a roll all the way through 2016, I was able to create a, a massively profitable business and, and sell it as well. So that was another- And you guys uh, had what, a couple hundred employees too, I saw when you when you'd sold that business? That's right. We had about 215 employees. We had a pretty cool business model, right? So we had a, we had a business model where we had uh, sales reps across Canada in every single marketplace- and we'd book them appointments. So we had a, we had a, I call it the uh. ultimate sales machine. So we had a, a call center booking them appointments. And then we'd have a manager on the other end of the phone managing that appointment with them, along with them. So it was Super a pretty cool. awesome recruiting strategy, uh, lead generation strategy, as well as sales strategy. It's pretty cool. But I think a so, value, go ahead, sorry. No, no, go for it. I think one of the valuable pieces of information I think for your um, for your clientele is is back in if you're stuck right so I launched the company in 2009 a year and a half later at the end of 2010 I was pretty fried I was actually at at the end of my uh, my rope with that business because while we grew it quickly we we literally grew it to 200 employees within a year but Holy I was buckets. but the problem was, is that I call it the entrepreneur's dilemma. And I think Ryan, we spoke a little bit about this before, is that as an entrepreneur, you usually have limitations and limitations are self-imposed because you believe that you need to be the best at everything in your company. Or at least mm -hmm. that's, sorry, let me rephrase that. Companies that are stuck have a CEO or a leader that believes they need to be the best in every aspect of the business. So- mm -hmm. Yep. Imagine I have 200 employees and I need to know everything about sales, everything what's going on in marketing, customer service, legal, uh, every as HR, every aspect. So, you know, um, uh, I think you've been there before, Ryan. So my email box was filled with about a thousand emails unread oh. and it's December, 2010. And I basically want to uh, jump out the window. Of my <laughs> right. So, but I, I kind of had my rebirth, so December 13th is my birthday, and for some reason, I always have a rebirth around that time. So I-, I, what, I what was the rebirth? Like, what was some of the, like, because I, I think so many people, regardless of whether it's, you know, 20 people that people cap out, or if it's 2,000, I think there's a big spectrum of what, what the pain that an entrepreneur is able to tolerate in their own entrepreneur's dilemma. That's right. What did you, like, you know, other than jumping out the window, what were some of the things that you looked to- to break you through and get some clarity to the next uh, the next stage, and then what what did that do for you? Well, a lot of times um, leaders of companies have a massive ego, and they and they don't believe they think they know everything, right? So you, first, the first thing you have to do is drop your ego. So that's exactly what I did. I started looking for a coach and a mentor, right? So I started looking for a business coach, business mentor, and Tony Robbins mm -hmm. kept on coming up on on my Google searches. And lo and behold, about three weeks later in, in Vegas, there was what's called business mastery. So that was in Jan early January of 2011. And I, you know, at, at the time I was just recovering from, you know, my, my near, let's say bankruptcy, bankruptcy death experience. So I didn't have a ton of money, but, uh, the event was $10,000 to be sitting in the front, you know, in, in the sit in the VIP section. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to meet the most people possible. And I'm going to be best, you know, situated in the best place if I'm sitting in the front. So I shelled out the 10 grand and I was able to, the first thing you learn when you, when you walk in here, if you haven't gone to one of these events, I would highly recommend it. You learn that you're the problem. You're literally, you get hit in the face with a shovel pretty much. You learn that the first thing Tony says, if your business is stuck, you're the problem. 
I'm like, let's get rid of that ego as fast as possible. Exactly. (laughs) He knocks you off your perch pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I learned within, within that, you know, that four days or that five days that the fact that, you know, I didn't have to know everything. I could, I could hire people that were smarter than me and not lose my sort of CEO position. And I could actually grow a business quickly and be happy growing a business because I could focus on doing what I want to do. Right. So a lot of times, again, like I said, CEOs think they need to be the best in everything, but that's a fallacy. I mean, if you fast forward to today, I've got a, I've got almost 300 employees now in a digital marketing company. I don't know how to media buy. I don't know how to create. I don't know how to do a lot of the things, but I have the best creators in the planet because I was able to drop my ego and hire people half my age to do the job that I, they could do much better than me. So I guess that that's a big, big learning in the book and a big learning out of you know my life experiences to drop your ego and bring people in that are better than you to do the job. So you you said you mentioned that you've done that in the uh, the company that you're running right now, and then also the the one that you had that um, as it, what, the the payments in the 2011. That's correct. your first company. Did you ever realize that you were in this entrepreneur's dilemma and that you had this situation, or did, it, did like how did this situation manifest itself in the first business if it, if it did? Well, in the first business, I was I was part of a team, right? So I wasn't the CEO of the company. I was the okay, got uh, EVP of sales. So uh, you know, my my sort of world revolved around sales. So I didn't kind of I didn't wasn't able to hit that wall of mm-hmm. trying to be the superstar in every department because my focus was on sales. But as you as you take a company and as you have aspirations to grow bigger, you're going to hit that wall if you don't drop that ego, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's kind of it's a big what learning. Like? What's your- What's your thoughts on, uh, or, or comments or experiences on, on hiring and finding like the, the executive rock stars, you know, I've had different podcasts that I've done about it and some pretty good ones over the last year that, you know, some good gold nuggets. And I think, you know, the, the ego you mentioned, I think is one of the biggest barriers, but like recognize any, anything that's worked or not worked as far as like getting that next bench of people that really can take that stress off of you. Well, we just hired a, a president of our U S division. And so I'm going to tell you, I think we made an amazing hire, but we'll, you know, obviously it's, it's pretty fresh. It's pretty new. So I'll, I'll have to report back to you in six months. That <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> but I think, we, I think we made the good move because, you know, we were able to bring in this gentleman and then he was able to bring in his sort of circle of influence. And so we've already seen, you know, huge dividends paid on that mm. front. Yep. So, I mean, anything about the characteristics, like here's maybe a little more context as some of the qu- the question here is that. A lot of times I've seen, and I, I went through this experience myself, is people like they, they might shortchange the salary or like they're truly when you're getting that next level of management, depending on what kind of business model you're in, you know, your cost of growth is high and you may need to make sure that you can fund your own growth or have your source. And then there's this person or the, these people that you need to hire to get yourself out from underneath all that, that take another level of investment. So people get kind of, you know, freaked out maybe about the payroll that they're going to have to bring on if it's their whole bench. But the, I think the bigger part, Mark, is that if they don't hire the right people, they're not truly getting rid of that stress because it's still falling under their responsibility. And so they have the payroll and let's say you skimmed it by 80%. You got the B players and all the shit still sitting on your shoulders. So that stress is not there. Have you, <laughs> does that res- resonate with you Absolutely. at all? <laughs> like well, well, let's put it this way. If you make a mistake, you have to correct it. I mean, don't, don't just live with your, 
Look, you want to surround yourself. You said B players, right? You want to surround yourself with A players because if you have A players, and Dan Sullivan, I don't know if you know Strategic Coach, but I'm part of that mm-hmm. group as well. So Dan, Dan was also instrumental in teaching me, um, you know, a lot of awesome tactics on how to run a self-managing business. And actually, this is funny. I, if I even might have it open to that page, hang on. So he had, we, we had a, a, an event two months ago. And he's like, you want to ask yourself these three questions when you're give me just bear with me one second. These are pretty awesome questions. When you breakthrough questions right here. So when you're launching a brand new division or project, question number one, this is from Dan, right out of my notebook. How can I achieve this this project by doing nothing? That's the first question you want to ask yourself. Super interesting. Right? Think about this. Think yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. How can I achieve this project by doing nothing? That's question number one. Breakthrough question number two is. What's the least that I can do to get this started? So number two, what's the least that I can do to get this started? And number three, who's the who to do this so that I can do the least or do nothing? So basically the point is find the who to do it that's a rock star and a, and a you know an A player mm-hmm. that allows you to step back and kind of oversee it and doing not a lot. So <laughs> that's how you grow a business. That's how you grow a massive but- business. That's awesome. So what, what changed for you after the, after the mastery and you went back and so how did that, like, how did your new mindset and how you're looking at your job and your role versus your ownership and like the future, how did that change? And then how did you start putting things into action? Well, that changed, it changed everything. I mean, learning from, from Tony Robbins and all the cast of uh, the crew that he brought in to teach you each aspect of your business. And then from there, I went over to, to Dan Sullivan and I joined strategic coach so basically, what I what I had to do was was totally rearrange my uh, my call it C suite or my my you know vice presidents. I had I moved out my vice president of sales. I moved out my uh, VP of operations. Moved out my head of HR and just switched it out. And then all of a sudden, I brought in instead of having you know yes men around me, I brought in people that would challenge me and people that would would basically take a division on and run it themselves. And it allowed me to focus on what I want to focus on, which is business development, which is, you know, strategic acquisitions and things like that. So if you're in the zone where you are allowed to focus on what you want to focus on, your company will grow. The things will happen on the positive side. That's basically it. Is it, was it obvious to you that, um, like the building the business on the sales and marketing front and strategic acquisitions is what you wanted to do? Or how did you figure out like where you wanted to play once you freed up other parts of your time? I always knew what, what gets me jazzed up. So, you know, I, I go back to when I was 15 and I was jumping on the ice with my father coaching kids. I love to watch a kid, you know, when I teach somebody to put the puck in the top corner, uh, it gives me, a, it gets me excited. So then fast mm-hmm. forward to being on the sales floor. When I have a sales guy, I pick up the phone, I help them close a deal that gets me excited. So <laughs> doing things and helping people grow and, and developing business is what always gets me juiced and jacked up. So that's what I want to do. So after, after that, you know, going back to your book, talking about some of the mega failures and like, what is the, the lucky formula for you? And I don't know how that, you know, what is it that you did leading up to the exit of that business that you would look back and you would say that was the lucky formula. And I, I'm curious on how you wove that, that book and what you did into that, that growth and exit. Okay. So the lucky formula is how to stack the odds in your favor and cash in on success. And it's also that luck is not a fluke, it's a formula, right? So there's a series of 
of 20 things that you can do to stack the odds in your favor. So I'll give you an example. So I'm pretty, pretty heavy into biohacking, right? So I believe that, you know, I, I understand nutrition and fitness and things like that and, and how that positively impact your day. So for example, all right, let's talk about, let's talk about morning routine. So if you're waking up in the morning and you've got your routine. So for example, my routine is, is smiling in the mirror, looking goofy like this, smiling in the mirror, getting, <laughs> getting the endorphins flowing. Right. And then it's affirmations, talking to yourself in a positive way. So I am a fearless leader. I am an amazing leader. I am an amazing person. I am happy. I am excited. I'm fired up. So I have nine different things I say to myself. And then, you know, when I jump in the shower, I'm visualizing what I want, what I, my, my biggest, you know, wins or my biggest goals, biggest desires. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm cleaning my tongue. I'm smiling in the mirror, like we said, and I'm constantly changing, you know, uh, uh, monitoring the language that I use it myself. So mm -hmm. the lucky formula is stacking these kind of positive things on top of each other so that, you know, when I get on a call with Ryan, that, you know, my, my energy levels through the roof and the fact that I'm delivering tons of value, because if I deliver tons of positive value out there, there's a pretty good chance that something is going to come back to me. Right. And mm -hmm. if I'm telling Ryan how amazing that his questions are and how amazing of a person he is and how awesome of a person he is, there's a good chance that Ryan's going to refer me or something positive will happen out of it. That's what I mean mm -hmm. by stacking the odds in their favor. Like to give you an awesome example is I was at um, Dave Asprey's event in, in Orlando a couple months ago. And so I'm sitting in the VIP section. So first I'm into biohacking. So I'm into nutrition and fitness and, and supplementation and all that. So I go to this event, I sit in the VIP section. So there's chances are in at this event, there are people who think like I do, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty good chance. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so this is what I mean by stacking the odds in your favor. So I've done all these positive things for my body and now I'm doing positive things for my brain. I'm going to an event. So I'm sitting in the VIP uh, lunch and a woman sits next to me. Her name was Kim. So I just started talking to her. Turns out she's the president of the Buffalo Sabres. I'm like, that's cool. A woman president of an NHL hockey team. I've, you know, that's a pretty rare thing. So that was a great conversation piece. I knew some of the players on her team. So we were talking about them. And then it turns out I look at her name tag, Kim Pagula. If you know the name, it's like, I'm like, oh, you're not only the president of the team, you own the Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo Bills, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. It's, and then we it's worth knowing. And you, and you engineered the whole like interaction. That's the fact the that you're in. That's yeah. the point. That's the point about stacking the odds. So, so I knew, I asked her about her marketing problems with, with the Buffalo Bills. And it turns out that one of the problems is she's, her, her clientele is 50 year old males. So I'm like, well, what are you doing for Gen Z? And she says, well, we don't really have a strategy yet. We're working on one. So I immediately call my, my head of creators and I said, Julia, make me 10 videos with your Gen Z creative team on how you would market the Buffalo Bills to, to Gen Z. So within a couple hours, they whipped up some amazing videos. I hunted her down. I showed her the videos. They were funny. They were hilarious. It's basically TikTok videos on how to, you know, how we, mm -hmm. how my team thought to market the Buffalo Bills and she loved them. So potentially we're going to get the Buffalo Bills as a client. So is that luck or did I stack the odds in my favor to be sitting in that situation? That's the point. It's, it, I love it because I don't think I've ever had the words to articulate what you just described to others when, when they're saying, Hey, like, why is this happening? Or how did you get that opportunity? It's like, well, I, I didn't know this specific 
situation was going to unfold. But I engineered all of the circumstances to allow exactly. one of these 10 situations to happen. So exactly. it's like, someone said, well, that's an accident. I'm like, no, no, it was on purpose, but I didn't know it was this thing. So it's like this weird combination of on purpose, but yet leaving that, it's almost like, like if you're looking at a bullseye, you're saying, I know it's like two inches wide and I'm going to hit it somewhere in there. I don't know exactly what spot. Exactly. But you're like, you're it's, still, it's still the bullseye. Exactly. No, but you're, you're making a good point. So think about this. I stacked the smile on top of talking to myself positively, on top of eating properly, on top of taking my supplementation, on top of sleeping well, on top of feeling great, on top of being at that event, on top of meeting this person. You know what I mean? So think about it. Yeah. That, that's yeah. what the book is all about. So it teaches you tips and tricks on how to stack the odds in your favor. Basically it. You know what? It, it syncs up so well, Mark, with like our definition of intentional growth because it's literally growing value and, and, and it's growing value at the end in mind. And here's what's so interesting over the last seven years that I was at this, the first five was like a freelance and consultant doing some random stuff and then it became more intentional. But my point is like, I always had this miserable marketing issue with growth and exit. It's because like everybody's like, well, I don't want to exit. I'm like, but if you don't think about it to the day you're burnt out, then you're totally screwed. And like, and so trying to get this like concept, what you just described, the only other way we could say is intentional growth. We're like, it's what I've said before is, and, and I want to relate this back to your business experiences is that if you grow value and you know what you want, why you want it, your why, like you talked about, we've got that in principle one is like, if you, you're very intentional to grow value, you're not picking an outcome today. You're not saying I'm going to do an ESOP in 2024. I'm selling to a private equity firm at this amount in 2025. You're saying, I'm going to engineer this entire situation and the value that I want to have as many freaking choices as possible. So that way, when I wake up in 2025, I've got the choices that I want. But you have to engineer that from like five years ago and value creation is going to be the number one, you know, mechanisms to help you create those choices. But it's been so damn hard to articulate that to people that haven't been through an exit or understand value creation. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. <laughs> I wish it was that easy to say. <laughs> we gotta you better take that out, take that clip out, and uh, and write it up. I think you just you just nailed it. <laughs> give it give it to your marketing team and like let it go viral on TikTok. But it's a uh, you know. What, what's been challenging that I've seen from the hundreds of people that have been on this show is it's like the sheer amount of regrets, Mark. I mean, people have made so much freaking money that have been on the show and they're sitting there going, hey, my Charles Schwab account, like it's got a lot of zeros and commas, but I'm no purpose, don't know what I want, miserable, depressed, because they didn't think about all these things. They just took what whatever's right in front of them. So like going back to your situation as you're growing to 200 employees and then you're, you're, you eventually sold, relate the comments that we just had to your exit. Like how, how, like how did you know that this was like maybe within the bullseye that it was a right thing? Did it like, did you how did to you sell? Is that the question? The sell yeah. The yeah. To, 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 the, to the last business, like to know that like, Hey, this is why I was here. Like, you know, did it, did it feel right? Did you, did it make sense to you at the time? Well, that's kind of a loaded question because I knew in 2013 was the right time to sell, but little did I know my, my, business partners had other ideas. So here's a, here's another, here's a pretty good learning when you're only a minority shareholder in a company, you really don't have a lot of say. So, you know, so I guess, you know, if, if everybody here can learn, get that 51% because when you have that, or at least 50% with another partner that, that has the same ideas that you have, if you have any less than 50%, then there are 50, 50.001%. 
um, you don't have that ability to exit when you think it's the right time. So back in 2013, I saw that the Canadian payments uh, business, in my view, is at the height. So we could get the the total top dollar for the business. Anyway, my 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 business partners in New York had had other ideas. I didn't know, but they wanted to take the global company uh, public. Is we were the we were oh. a division of you know we're the Canadian division of a of a, a global mm-hmm. company. So I didn't know that they wanted to take the whole global package and put uh, put that public. But anyway, so so, I, so I then what my, happened? Like. How did you jump from that to to marketing? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you've always been the sales and marketing guy, but like, let's do like, let's walk through that bridge because I'm I'd, lo- I'd love to hear it. <laughs> well, I finally was able to engineer the sale of the company, or at least my shares, my thirty percent stake in the company in 2016. And as with any entrepreneur, right, and you know this, Ryan, you deal with entrepreneurs all day long, is they get itchy after a little bit of time sitting on the bench. So <laughs> I met this, uh, met this gentleman by the name of Max and he was, uh, he had, he had just a one man shop and I was running, uh, I was running with my wife, a, uh, a nutrition and fitness business. And so I was, do- I was actually doing the marketing. I was actually doing the, the media buying on Facebook, but I hated every second of it. So I wanted to find somebody that can beat my numbers, right. And beat my, my, uh, cost per lead or cost per acquisition. Mm-hmm. And so after about 10 different people, finally, I got somebody to beat me and he totally crushed my numbers, but he was a one-man shop. And after about six months, I'm like, listen, dude, I think you have something here. You have a skill that we could we could blow up. We could make pretty big. So we launched uh, in a year later after meeting him, we launched a company called Maxi Media, and, and here we are today. So we've grown it from two people to over, now we're cl- closing it on 300 employees within the last uh, four and a half years. So it's been a pretty good ride. Very good ride. <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine the reactions people that are listening in are, are thinking about that. So, you know, what, what, I mean, there's probably a lot of factors in it, but like, what are some of the maybe fun, the, the foundational factors to that growth? Like where you kind of tap the, tap the formula? What, what, you know, what were you stacking in your favor to make sure that you were getting the outcomes that you wanted? First and foremost, it's getting people it's hiring people that could do the jobs you don't want to do. So, right. I don't know how to, or I did know how to media buy, but not today. I don't know how to, I don't know how to use these platforms today. Like, so for example, mm-hmm. Facebook back in 2016 is far different than it is today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So get hiring media buyers, hiring the best media buyers and, and stepping out of the way, hiring the best uh, tech team and stepping out of the way, hiring the best creators and stepping out of the way. So two years ago we, we fell into TikTok, right? So we, you know, TikTok, it, it's a far different beast than, than buying on Facebook or buying on Instagram or buying on, on Snapchat. So we had to create this whole creative team. So hiring, listen, our creative team, literally the person who runs our creative team is 23 years old and she's got over a hundred creators that, you know, and managers that report into her. That's awesome. She's 23. So think about that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's allowing your ego to step aside and let a 23 year old run your department. So think about that. Well, I know. I bet you most the people that are listening also go, I want that kind of growth. And oh my God, that scares the shit out of me what you just said. Exactly. <laughs> and when you're, when you're scaling your firm like this, professional services is, is challenging to scale. Working on it right now with our business, I work with a lot of professional services firms. So, you know, how does, what was the strategy in the business model and how you scaled that? And I don't know if this is where the wrapper of recurring revenue ties in. Uh, it, it does. But we started as a as a service company, so we started as an agency, right? But then we quickly. I don't really love the the services business itself because it's tough to scale. 
So mm-hmm. we, we fell into a couple of lucky opportunities where we met the right people and we got into the performance business. So performance is all about producing. And if you produce, you get paid. If you don't produce, you don't get paid is, is bottom line or you lose money at least. So, you know, putting in a dollar to, to pull out a dollar 30 in the back end, that's, that's kind of performance marketing. And so and through trade shows and through conversations and through speaking to people, we're able to, you know, roll the company, get the right uh, relationships and the right people and the right verticals and the right, you know, opportunities to grow the business from, uh, you know, from a, a service business to a performance marketing business. How did that impact cash flow, your ability to fund your growth? I'm just, and like the engagements we have with your clients. Well, in the beginning, because we didn't have the right lines of credit set up and we didn't have the right relationships with the platform set up properly, we had basically funded out of our pockets. So, you know, that that was tough. So we had to take every dollar that we put back into the company and and roll it back in and roll it back in until we hit a certain level. But then when we hit a a certain level, the banks were throwing money at us left, right and center. So did you do the performance before the performance measurement? Because like, I think one of the biggest challenges with a services company was A is, you know, reoccurring revenue that's predictable. Mm -hmm. And then like the moment that like, and and I've worked on, you know, not our old business and this business and plenty other ones where like, if you get a retainer based, you know, for exchange of services, someone's always pissed. Like you didn't get the value this month or the company, didn't get it. everyone, someone's always getting pissed. And then they're renegotiating next month's contract, or you go to the hourly basis and it's either too much, too high of a spread. Someone's being greedy. And then like, there's all these complications. Let's say like, and like with ours, it's an hourly rate, but then all of a sudden you got to like bring on a big payroll. And then you've got essentially like a four month risk of, you know, cash flow drain before you fully stack them up and put them on the clients unless you do something like you were talking about of having a different metric of how the cash comes in. So how did, how did you do Explain a little bit more of that performance well, based. And- well, performance is, it's basically if this, then that, if, you know, if, if you're going to pay me $2 per lead, then I better, you know, I better get that lead for $1.50 or $1.75. Right. So that's, that's why I like the performance model. It's, it's based on our efforts. So if you're going to pay me X, then I better produce it for Y. I mean, that's it. So if I can't, if you're going to pay me $2 a lead and, and I can only produce it for $2.10, I lose. And I better go back to the drawing board said, and, and, and say, hey, listen, I need $2.50. So it's, mm-hmm. it's all like the performance game. I've always been in sales. So if you don't produce, you don't eat pretty much is, is kind of my, like the mindset I've been used to forever. So yeah. it doesn't scare uh, me to go out there and hunt and hunt for my, my next meal. So that's awesome. And in recurring revenue, how have you integrated that into your business? And then like, and as you go down this, this thought is we had recurring revenue in my old business. And I, you know, there are certain industries and certain businesses where it's just apparently obvious payment processing people, there's payment flows, Absolutely. you're skimming off the top to provide your services. Absolutely. It's like, just duh, you know, real estate agents are going, I don't know how to do this unless I create a property management firm. So like, exactly. I think people get stuck on like reoccurring revenue SaaS, and then it just stops there. So like, what are your thoughts on reoccurring revenue? What other different types? What, or like, how do you, how do you view it? Well, First, I mean, if you look at our business, our recurring revenue comes because of the fact that we have multiple industries and multiple uh, verticals within the industry and we have multiple clients, right? So 
Um, that's, I, I would call that recurring. I mean, it's almost like a mutual fund model. I don't like mutual funds, by the way. But anyway, it's kind of like a mutual fund <laughs> model. I like the model. I don't like mutual funds themselves because they're a ripoff. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, but how about this? A balanced ETF portfolio. There, there you, go. you go. All right. So if you diversify your business, uh, you know, across many different verticals and many different channels and many different clients, then you essentially have created a recurring revenue business. I mean, like you said, in payments, it's easy to define. I've got 10,000 clients paying me about $150 per month per client. That's obvious. But mm -hmm. if you have other types of business, it's not as obvious. But I think there, there's a way to look into your business and create recurring revenue. So for example, you know, you could maybe, Ryan, you, if you help companies do XYZ, you could get a percentage of their ongoing revenue. You know, for you, maybe that's a way for you to think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. There's always a way for you to get a piece of the game that you're playing. Well, and, and if you're tying and you're tying that to the performance-based value pricing that you're doing, it's all about being part of the value chain, right? Sure. I mean, it's exactly. like what are the what are the clients doing, and then how are you helping them succeed, and then you get paid per, based on what they're doing. With your growth, Mark, like what have you been doing that is different with Maxi Media? than the last couple of journeys that you had because of the the stacking uh, or the, the the lucky formula and stacking the things in your favor? Are there th things that you're doing intentionally now that you're like, holy crap, I wouldn't have done that la in the last company because of whatever reason? Yeah, we, we it's, a, it's a term called blitz scaling. So we literally have taken the company and, and consciously decided at certain points to blitz scale, to literally, and what does that mean? Blitz scaling means hiring like mega hiring and seeing where the chips fall. It's, it's basically, it's kind of, it's kind of reckless in a sense, but it's, it's controlled recklessness where, so for example, when we went from zero to X amount is we had <coughs> four employees and we went from four to 30 within a month. And then we went from, from 30 to a hundred within the next two months. So it's, it's making a conscious effort to roll everything back into the company and to bring in the best people possible per division and not being afraid to let go people that aren't the best people. That is awesome because I had Chris Yeh on my uh, show uh, like a few months ago about his book, Blitzscaling with Reed Hoffman. And it's so tied to, you know, startup and raising money. And so we were, we were tying it back into the fact that any company can do it. And you have a real live example of how a services company did it. So like, that's funny. You, he, he actually reached out to me on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. It was funny. He's like, because no I have what? scaler in my title. And he's like, <laughs> well, and actually when I got the intro from your, uh, from your team, I actually thought it was uh, someone on his team again because you know the the name is uh, so tied to what he's doing it. But you're, it's a real live example how a small privately held company can do this and let's scale to highly profitable value, right? Not just, Hey, like, cause with blitz scaling in his world, it's like grow as fast as possible and do a SPAC or an IPO, <laughs> right? Like, it's, and that's how you liquidate your investment. But like for someone that wants to create reoccurring EBITDA, that's healthy and that gives them choices, it's slightly different. But I think the concept applies how, like, how were you determining how much money you were like, what, what were, what was here's at why, stake? Here's, here's one of the key points, right? The key points is that we looked at we looked at the revenue coming in and let's just say at, at the time, I think our, our monthly revenue is, uh, sorry, a monthly profit. I, let's call it $50,000 a month in, in free cash flow. You can mm -hmm. either dividend that out or put it back into the company. Like what mm -hmm. would a $50,000 dividend divided by two or three people do for you? Not much. 
But if you right, roll the, that with taxes grand, too and all that, all no, that exactly. stuff. Yeah. So if you rolled that fifty grand back into the company and you kept on hiring every single month, you take your free cash flow and you hire and you hire and you hire. At one point, there's an inflection point where it takes off, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. Like you have to not be afraid to take your excess cash flow and roll it back in, and make calculated decisions, right? Make calculated uh, investments and investments in people. And if you're not afraid to hire the best people. And to hire the smartest. And you asked me this question earlier. So I, I, you don't always have to start. We didn't start hiring these top C-level execs. We started hiring undervalued assets, smart individuals, mm. young people. So a lot of times, a lot of times people say, oh, Gen Z, they're lazy. No, they're not. You just haven't found the right one. Mm-hmm. Right? Think about that. They're not lazy at all. Oh, the millennials and the Gen Zs are lazy. No, that's a story. That's a BS story that you're telling yourself. Like I, we have, if you look at our staff, I want to say 80% of them are 25 and younger, right? That's unbelievable out of 300. So, and we found that I found that Gen Z or, or even millennials, they're, they're hard, they're harder working than, than my generation even. Just you have to find it's just a, it's a BS. It's a BS narrative, isn't it? Is it? Like, dude, narrative. I'm a millennial and I'm sitting here like, like the same narrative about millennials applies for Gen Z, applies for Gen exactly. X and applies for baby movers. It just depends on what, what data exactly. set are you looking at? No, you're hundred percent so, right. So like what, what's so, okay. Awesome about the, the, like the cash that you're investing and how to think about that. How did you think about your strategies? And here's some context behind that too, is because a lot of people that are privately held that I see is like, you know, they're running EOS or scaling up or OKRs or whatever, but it's an operating system. They, they get confused with the strategic plan. Like going from five to 10 million is a goal, not a strategic plan. What customers, what products, what, like, how are we going to go to market? I think is something that a lot of people don't go through a formal, like exercise of decision-making. So when you were saying, Hey, we're going to like hire 30 people, what was the intent? Like how, like what was the strategy and how are you going to measure yourself against it? Well, the, obviously I'm a whiteboard guy, right? So I love everything. It's, it's kind of my, my challenge. So I, we, I moved from Montreal to Florida. I don't have an office yet. <laughs> Ryan, I'm kind of going crazy. <laughs> I need my whiteboard in front of you. But anyway, so I like whiteboarding the whole thing out and whiteboarding. We're going to hire strategically in media buying. We're going to hire in creatives. We're going to hire in tech. We're going to hire. So the whole thing is planned out. And each dollar, each dollar invested is going to generate X dollars in, in revenue. And then we're going to roll back and roll back. So we kind of had my, I kind of had the plan laid out across, you know, I had 24 feet of whiteboard. So I had the plan rolled mm-hmm. out month one, month two, month three, month, oh, all the way up awesome. to month 24. So you've got to be strategic and you've got to plan things out over time, but don't be afraid to hire the best people. And again, don't be afraid to hire young that are undervalued assets but at some point you're going to have to pay them just so you know, mm-hmm. like we're, 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 we're going through that right now. So we, we were able to hire undervalued assets at some point, but they're going to become valued assets at some point. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's on your payroll or someone else's, right? Exactly. You might as well keep them. Exactly. So I know, I know we're going to be a short on getting short on time here is um, when you're looking at stacking the odds into your favor and you've got this, uh, this new business now that you're working on that you're, you're blitz scaling. What, are you like, what is your bullseye in the, in, in the, in a multidimensional way, Mark? So it's not just a number I'm looking for. Like when you say like, cause you talked about your why, like maybe describe, I'm curious, like, why are you doing all this? What is, what, what gets you super excited to go through the, 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 the growth challenges and the journey that you're doing every day? Well, I like winning. It's just, 
it's just about winning for me. I mean, it, it's fun to win, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. I've got a I've got a massive goal at the end of the line, and, and I don't know if you're a hockey fan. You live in Minnesota, maybe you are, but the Minnesota Wild was our customer for seven years, man. Uh, so I went to like almost every Wild game, <laughs> and and we actually had a. Um, I don't remember is Buzz is his name. He was in the Miracle. Um, Buzz Schneider. Um, yeah, he worked for us really? for like four years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> selling his own water units and hanging out at the yeah. So like, I never played and I know very little about it, but like participated and drank beers at many games. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I grew up in a hockey family my whole life. My brother played in the NHL for thirteen years. My other brother played pro. I didn't. But anyway, so my goal is to uh, is to win the Stanley Cup as a business owner, as the owner of the Florida Panthers, and hold that Stanley Cup over my head. So that's the big that's the big massive, you know. Target. Why the hell not, right? I mean, that's awesome. Exactly. Why not? It's a crazy world out there. So why not get crazy? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, this has been a lot of fun. I know we're we're we're, we're wrapping up here. Is um, what do you want with your business? Like, like what, when you look at like the choices that you want and for your people, like, how do you, how do you weigh all the choices that you have? I mean, when you're growing that fast, I'm assuming people are knocking on your door. And I'm just like, when you're thinking about like what to do with this baby that you've created, I think what kind of choices are you looking for and what, what, what are your hopes for it? Well, we've actually had a pretty sizable offer recently on, on the company itself. So, um, that wasn't a kind of, that one came out of the blue kind of, so the goal was to build the company to hit that billion dollar mark. Uh, we may exit before that because the, the, the offer is pretty that good or that, that tasty, I'll call it. So, you know, that kind of came out of the blue, but when you do great things and, and you build valuable, solid companies, those things happen, right? You get lucky like that. So that's kind of where I'm we are. Per- I'm lucky on purpose, right? The whole point of the show. I love it. Um, uh, two final questions. The word intentional name of the show. I love people hearing their definitions. What does the word mean to you? intentional do things that mean something do things that are awesome and have a lot of fun that's what i think it means and if people want to know more about you the book your company where do they find you so i'm going to give a gift to your uh, to your listeners so the gift is first the lucky quiz it, it kind of it, it rates yourself on a scale of zero to 100 how, how lucky you are so you could you could do that quiz at theluckyformula.com slash quiz Again, theluckyformula.com slash quiz. It gives you your lucky score and it also tell, it teaches you or gives you tips and tricks on how to get luckier. And, uh, and you could also find me on Instagram at Mr. Lucky Official. Again, that's Mr. Lucky Official on Instagram. I you love like it. that? <laughs> I do. I do. I love it. I love it. I'm fully embrace it, man. Just own it. <laughs> uh, and by the Martin, way, I is... didn't tell you this. My last name, La Chance or La Chance actually means luck. So that's why I can call myself Mr. Lucky because my name means it. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I mean, yeah, enough said, right? Mark, <laughs> this has been an absolute blast. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was awesome, Ryan. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mark. I think if there's one big takeaway that I have is that the lucky formula, the first component of it is understanding what you want from the business and why and how all of the mechanics work, which is why I'm obviously going to suggest check out the intentional growth training at arcona.io because I swear in my life that if you understand how all this stuff works and you can clearly articulate what you want from the long-term valuation and what you want from your employees and from your legacy and from your job and from the value of that asset and how you want all this to work, then you can stack the odds in your favor 
and engineer that outcome to a very high percentage degree that you're going to accomplish exactly what you want because you know why you're doing it every day and that you're going to be able to have the foundation to overcome the obstacles every day that are really hard and really exhausting. So I hope you check out the intentional growth training. There's a bunch of material on the curriculum and what you're going to get on the arcona.io website. So I appreciate you tuning in and I will see you next week.